Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello and welcome to the League One podcast here on Look Sports Media. I'm Owen Miles and today I'm with Chris. Evening Owen, good to be back again. Would you believe it, another week of football back again and gone? Yep. I'm here with Ollie. Hi, welcome to a particularly spooky edition with that intro music. Yep, and I'm here with Sam. Hello. Fresh from a week in Spain, which was about 24 degrees, and I've eaten possibly the worst diet any human could possibly eat for the past week. At, at least, least it's better weather. Yeah, at least it's better <laughs> weather than it was here. Yes. Um, so, as it is a Halloween tomorrow, I was uh, talking to you and I was going to ask, what's your favourite scary movie? I'm going to jump straight in on this and say that I absolutely bloody hate scary movies. I don't really understand why anybody likes being scared. Like it's literally, it's literally like a human emotion. We're like told not to, like we're like we're like told to stay away from. Why, why are we going to cinemas and encouraging it? <laughs> no, massive... It's not my cup of tea. Yeah, I'm a I'm a massive nerd for it. To be honest, I'm a massive cinema nerd. To be honest, because. I have brothers who want to go into there, so I just get dragged in a lot. But yeah, I'm a I'm a bit I'm a big big horror movie fan to be honest. Um, I can do I can I can do gory stuff and like thriller yeah. type thing. Any, anything that's jumpy, you can count me yeah. out. But I like favorite. Um, I quite like the Saw movies. They're quite, like I, I say that it's about, it's about forty of those now, isn't there? Well, the first, the first yeah. couple were, were good. Yeah, I I I, I the, some the classics. I love the first Exorcist. <laughs> that for me was a. Uh, uh, probably, I think it was won the Oscar as well for best screenplay or something like that, and it was well, probably one of the best horror movies of all time. I'm also I'm loving I love the psychological sort of side of the horror. So one of my favourites recently is a film that's uh, called Talk to Me, 
It was made by Raka Raka, who are YouTubers uh, that went into this sort of genre. And in my opinion, it's just really, really good of how they sort of used um, the horror element to sort of, and not use as much gore to like make it such a good film. It seems to be scary music. You must watch some films. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'd be mean, that same as uh, Owen. So we seem to be split 50-50 here. Uh, massive. Love the niche horror films. Um, uh, don't know if anyone remembers that, that awful B-list horror movie channel when you were younger on Sky. Stuff like that. Right, I was just, just staying away stuff. from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always, always, always love them and uh, probably continue to love them as well as other genres of film. Right, that's a little detour. But as we get into this week's fixtures, we go to the Lamex Stadium. They probably won the games of the weekend, where Stevenage played Derby County. Yeah, really enjoyable this one. Um, although probably not from the viewpoint of Rams fans, but hey ho. Um, essentially, Stevenage won this game three uh, one with three excellent goals um, and were pretty much really good value for the win. Um, first goal was a low free kick from Jordan Roberts, which I think Joe Wildsmith probably should have done a bit better with, um, but a good strike nonetheless. Derby got back into it with a low Mendes Lang finish after a nice little dummy from Max Bird. But Alex McDonald scored Seamage's second free kick um, with the last kick of the half. Very weird one, this. Um, it's an incredible hit, and it's sort of one of those ones where he hits it and it's rising all the way. It does end up in the middle of the goal. <laughs> um, so again, I think probably some question marks will be raised over quite where Wildsmith was off to. Um, second half, nervy one early on. Um, Derby created an early chance that an excellent McDonald tackle prevented them from leveling it up. But they, they they sort of probed a little bit. They sort of failed to create much more and didn't really trouble Ashby Hammond in the Stevenage goal for the rest of the half. It should have been game over uh, when Kane Hemmings missed from literally two yards out. I know we say that a lot, two yards out, but he, he can't be closer to the goal. Um it's squared across to him and the keeper is on the other side of the goal and he somehow passed it into Wildsmith's hands. It's one of those misses you've kind of got to see to be believed. Um, but he did make amends a few minutes later. Um, lovely passing move. Yep, you heard that right. And then Evans' team uh, involved a nutmeg, uh, then a back heel, and then Wilding squared it across Hemmings again for an almost identical finish to the one he missed. Uh, but this time he buried it. So, yeah, quite possibly one of the best team goals I've ever seen at Melanix. And, yeah, really, really nice win to... You know, and mix it with one of the big boys and it's kind of where we failed a little bit in the last few weeks so to get one up um on a big side was yeah really really nice win yeah i, I think steve evans uh press conference was a lot happier after with no moaning about <laughs> the referee yeah 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 he actually he actually said yeah um he, he wanted to praise the referee today i know i know a derby fan who said who, who's adamant that both free kicks weren't fouls <laughs> and was twin <laughs> evans is moaning has has paid off finally. It's weird though, actually. Like, well, not weird, I guess, after what we said last week. But Derby fans were obviously calling for Warren's head for the rest of the game. They're they're a strange side. I can sort of see why they're calling for his head. They've not really got mm. any identity to them. They're sort of like they've not no set patterns of play. You know, when you've got the resources they've got, players like Horahan, Mendes Lang, Kane Wilson, Louis Sidley, they I feel like they should be looking a, a much more organised side than they looked. Um, so yeah, I can see why there's some restless Rams fans. Yeah, it, it, um, for it that, goes. Back I mean, to, oh. sorry, it goes um, back to what me. I said about. Sorry, no, no, seriously, you go, you go. I'll, I'll say after. It goes back to what I said about Derby probably being another year missing out. Ollie said about having no identity to them, and I said something similar. They didn't look 
like when they came to Bottom Road, they didn't look like a promotion team. Um, and one of the reasons is is the absence of a striker. We know how hard they push for a prolific striker in the window, and they just couldn't seem to get any deal over the line for anyone but the aging strikers they got. Yeah. I do. I just feel like Derby, they just didn't have that impetus. Maybe it's because Waghorn wasn't there. I know he was he was taken out with an injury, but um yeah, they are gonna struggle. Like with the same I'll go Ollie with a Hemmings goal. I seriously thought he I when they scored and then everyone was stopped celebrating, I thought he I thought he was offside. I you can even see because um if you don't know guys, uh we do now on TikTok have our match day vlogs. Uh they started a couple of times with me and um get started off with me and there's some other ones on there as well. And uh, literally I thought Hemmings scored because I was at the other end and I'd seriously, I've watched it back and I don't know how the hell it's harder to miss, Like it's easier to score than it is to miss. Luckily he got it back about a minute later, about a couple of minutes later. But yeah, I said, I said in the vlog that I thought that could have been Warren's last game, especially with a lot of the, the Derby fans. And I was, I was uh, I wasn't in this podcast last week, but I was listening to to the podcast, and I did hear about them maybe not changing the formation that they probably should have. And Warren has to usually like to stick with one thing for the entirety of his stay at a club, and especially for a bigger club, that won't work. People will find you out, and it seems to be that this year teams have found him out, especially more away from home. I think we, well, we we've seen Portsmouth um, at home. We've also seen Oxford. Um, so and, well, and we've been away to Bolton. So I kind of feel like we've kind of seen a lot of the sides that were expected to be up there. Mm-hmm. And if you compare their performance and just just how well drilled they were to Oxford, like it is literally chalk and cheese. O- o- Oxford, every player that got the ball, you could see there's a real pattern of players, a plan for every movement. They're trying to work it out wide. They're, try- no, they're, they're, they're trying to knock it, knock it around with one one two touch passes. Derby pretty much felt like let's get the ball to Hurahan and hope he does something. I mean, I don't like. Obviously, we we said last week, didn't we, that Warren liked his wing backs. Uh, Joe Ward was on the bench for most of the game, um, and like you know, last 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 year, all he did for Peterborough was swing crosses in. I, I just, I, it, it feels like a weird setup to me, and where he doesn't really know what he wants out of that team. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like. That's going to cost him in the long run. I don't. I think they're playing on Tuesday night in the league. I, I forgot who that is against, but um, he, he put. He, he, I think they've also. If he loses that, and then as well loses to Crew in the cup, that could seriously be the end of his his stint there. Well, yeah, Northampton well, at home on Tuesday. Yeah, that's oh. a gimme. Really, they should win that. I have to say, last week I did call out football fans for lack of in- ingenuity in terms of uh, the songs they were singing at, um, in the grounds. So yeah. credit where it is due. Um, there was well, there was the usual uh, sort of moaning from Derby fans about the size of the ground being like a garden shed and all that sort of stuff. A um, couple of decent retorts from the Steve Mitch fans, though, so we'll give them their credit. So there were two that I quite enjoyed. Uh, one was, uh, how shit must you be? You have to play here which was quite quite, quite a nice little response to, <laughs> yeah. to, to the garden shed responses. And then equally, when we scored a third, uh, 3-1 in your garden shed was equally quite quite fun. Yeah. I think I think that, talking about, like that's just typical though, isn't it? That a lot of people, when they're a lot of the bigger sides, when they play at small sides. Also, wasn't there like a tweet that, funny enough, Stevenage, the admin of their Twitter, posted about uh, early in the day about um, a, a, tw- a Derby fan saying, where the hell is Stevenage? Why do we have to go there? I can't wait to get our League One. And then he 
uh, are the person who who runs the series Twitter account or X, whatever it's called now, um, quote tweeted it with the third goal and then put the exact tweet, uh, what it wrote on the top of the uh, Twitter bio for the rest of the night. I find that quite, <laughs> quite amusing. So, yeah, yeah. I, 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 lo- I love all that. Like, I, I love being the shit outside that teams who are much, much bigger feel yeah. absolutely arrogantly they should be. And yeah, it, it feels harking back to the days of us, you know, being under Wesley and upsetting your Wednesdays and your Sheffield United. So, yeah, keep, keep yeah. bringing more of that, please. Yeah. With this, social, yeah. Sorry. Social Go media on. admins have got so much better over the years. Oh, yeah. um, they're, they're really not afraid to sort of join in the way the fans do. Um, going away from League One, it was Leeds when they came back against Norwich. Um tweeted a video of the scene of from South Park of Cartman and Scott Malkinson. I don't know if anyone saw it, <laughs> but he was laughing at Scott Malkinson and they edited it to keep saying you bottled a two-goal lead. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think a lot of it is probably just to do with a lot of the admins are now I'm not gonna say my age because it's probably a bit too young, but like that sort of 20 sort of Gen Z, early early Gen Z sort of demographic where they know social media a lot more and they can yeah. And they know pop culture a lot more, so they're able to use that and and the amount of stuff that's gifts and things on Twitter now. It's so easy just to do, and now it, it's better for that way because you'll get more likes, you get more responses. Because Steven's done a lot. I remember the the one I was thinking of was the FA Cup game against Villa um, when he put about that Katina was in his back pocket, and that got a, a decent amount of uh, sort of responses on like not even just Twitter, but uh, there was a YouTube video where someone put it as their tweet of the week and things like that. So it's always very it's good. Just, it's just good fun seeing football fans wound, yeah. wound up on Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Go, yeah go with, back, um, we did with Mark Goldbridge last year when I can't eat Mark Goldbridge tweeted something about United being worse at home than Orient and we were unbeaten at the time and our, uh, our Twitter admin ended up calling him, you're a grown man, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. He he used the word ratio and they went, you're a grown man, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) On the same subject of fans who, we talk about fans being wound up, but fans who can sort of take the banter being aimed at them as well. And it Mm. goes back to the same game at Norwich where, again, away from League One, but when the third goal went in, uh, I can't remember who scored the third goal, but he ran over to the Norwich fans and shushed them. Um, and one of the Norwich fans shouted back, we're already quiet. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, we'll, uh, we'll go up to the next game, which was Barnsley, high-flying Barnsley against Fleetwood. Um, but surprisingly, it was it was Fleetwood who took the lead. Um, bit of a mistake, really, from that Barnsley midfield. Uh, didn't try, let, try to let the ball drop. It fell back. James Marriott put the ball straight in the box and Junior Katina put it in. But... That didn't last long at all. Four minutes, four minutes by, and then Devante Cole got a penalty that was pretty soft, but probably, probably given the right way. Um, which he stepped up to take, as you would, it'd be in the top scoring league one at the moment. Um, strongly shot, but a brilliant save from the keeper, but straight into the path. So he uh straight into the path of Devante Cole, so he put it straight back in. That's eleven goals now for him this season. He is really looking like one of the top players. Uh, in League One next year, uh, this year at the moment. Um, but then again, Fleetwood bounced back just a couple, just about 10 or so minutes later with Junior Coutinho again with one of the goals of the weekend with a cracking free kick. I, I think it was about 30, 40, about 30 yards, just under the keeper, under the crossbar. Brilliant finish. 
But after the fight, after the halftime whistle went and Barnsley went to the second half, they were just a stronger team and Fleetwood were just trying to hold on for dear life. But um, they weren't able to. It was a, it was a great finish from uh, O'Keefe and, and they got it late on and they ended up being a two-all. Uh, probably you would think before the game, you would think that'd be a drop, a drop points really and uh, points lost rather than points gained for two points lost rather than one point gained for Barnsley. But at half time, they'd probably take that. But for them going for automatics this year, that will cost them a little bit. Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure on Barnsley. Um, when they played us, it, I think it was last weekend, they were like really, really poor. It took a worldie from um, Herbie Kane. And, yeah. they, they, and we're not the strongest defensively. And they really, really struggle. And I think that's one of the first games this year at Fleet against Fleetwood. They've had more XG than they've actually scored as well. Because mm, they're say, overachieving by like seven, I think. Seven, wasn't it, they got? Yeah. Yeah, they're massively lot, overachieving. Yeah, I think a lot of the time, though, they will be relying. I think that might cost them down the end, like you said, the defence. Because I'm going to be honest, they've probably got one of the best attacks in the, in the League One at the moment. Devante mm-hmm. Cole, uh, McAtee, Cosgrove. They've got real good quality as well as depth. Quality and depth in that in that to be in the in their attack in that division and yeah some of them probably can play in championship at the moment and um but if that defense doesn't get stronger throughout the season then i think they might be doomed into the playoffs and even even past that losing michael duff is a big thing for them as well um yeah i do rate him as a manager and i mean it shows how rated he is as a manager he's had three clubs in three seasons now Mm. um he is struggling at Swansea, but defensively he was solid with Barnsley. And they seem to have just lost that defensive shape now he's moved on. Yeah. What happens when you have to play Jamie McCart in the centre of your defence? Fair enough. Um, so next, uh, we're going to go to Bloomfield Road for another quite exciting game to watch. Uh, we're going to go to Sam for this one. <clears throat> yeah, it was a. Uh... Uh, Peterborough took uh, an early lead from uh, across from Mason Clark to the back post where Poku, really, really good composure from Poku at the back post, could have easily taken the volley first time, took a touch and slotted it under the goalkeeper. Uh, Peterborough then got a penalty, a really poor pass into midfield. Um, and Pennington has literally swiped the legs away from the attacker. Um, and But Mason Clark took the penalty and it's quite a comfortable save from the goalkeeper. He kind of um, opened his body up to show where he was going to put the penalty. Um, going into the second half, Casey was sent off a minute into the second half. I wasn't overly sure on the red card. Um, I've watched it back six or seven times and I'm still not sure it was a red card. Um, but to add insult to injury to that, Burroughs then put the free kick into the bottom corner, which I still think the goalkeeper should have saved on his side of the goal. Um, Ricky J. Jones then made it three after a lung bursting run through the middle of the pitch from Poku. Um, Blackpool did show some sort of fight. Um, scoring from a set piece with Dougal, a header back across the goal. Um, and then Carey then scoring four minutes later after, I think it was Jordan Rhodes had a shot, which was parried by the goalkeeper into the middle of the penalty box um, with Carey smashing in. Um, and then a Blackpool were pushing for the winner. Mason Clark then wrapped up the game in injury time. Um, it means there's no defeat in nine now for Peterborough. And looking, looking quite good. Yeah, yeah they're aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think that quality but with the attack think... they've got, they should be scoring four every week. Effort yeah. Mason Clark, I just feel like every time I watch anything good about Peterborough, he is at the absolute centre of, isn't it? Whether he's dribbling past players and, and, and laying it off, you know, to not get the <laughs> assist, or he's scoring, or he's getting assists. 
I would be surprised if he's still there at the end of January. I just, I just think he is yeah. a level. It's their next big thing, isn't it? Next big player yeah. to to leave. They still got Johnson Clark Carrot as well, haven't they? Who's not really had the most prolific of seasons. Well, like, yeah. What what happens with him now? Obviously, now Barton's gone at Bristol Rovers. Does he just go back in, or do Bristol Rovers still want him? Don't know who wants him. Whether it's the owners or Barton who wants him at um, Bristol. Yeah. It's a Barton type of player, though. Yeah. Very Barton type player. Yeah, I think I think of Peterborough though that I think I think they're starting to they, they had a little bit of a slow start. I think probably more towards when they it's probably st- started slow just due to how they went how they lost promotion last year through the playoffs with that crazy crazy playoff with uh, Sheffield Wednesday and I think that sort of hangover sort of cured a little bit now and they're, they're starting to push on and they should be near the automatic slash playoff places at the end of the year and they they're probably one of the favorites to go up this year I think they like people were a bit sour on them weren't they I think obviously there was you know whisperings of issues in the back room in terms of finances and is there going to be a fire sale of, of assets some regular some pretty strong players within that first 11 were moved on um but yeah they've kind of they just got got back to what they do best haven't they just scoring lots of goals um yeah. just being a massive threat going forward their recruitment's always pretty spot on as well peterborough um Collins yeah, in Michigan. Uh, i think it comes from exeter didn't he as well so their, their recruitment's always spot on yeah. Their policy with players out of contract as well. It's uh, you say about players moving on, but it's just always been standard with them, really. Once a player hits last year of contract, he's transfer listed until he either well, he either gets sold or signs a new contract, pretty much. I don't, can't think of a player they've lost on a free transfer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel like that if I, if I was a Peter fan. Like, like I, I see McCantony getting quite a lot of stick from Peter fans as soon as it's not going quite right. But like, I, I don't know. If I, if I put that into context as a, as a Stevenish fan, you know, obviously slightly different clubs. But most of our most of our players are on one one year deals, and like, mm-hmm. so I, like the the idea that as soon as someone's got only a year left, they're suddenly up for sale. Like we're looking at a whole squad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think it comes down to the stature of a club. Um... Yeah, they're, they're a team who probably championship material. Um, like we said about the playoffs last season, um, most of that team would have probably signed new contracts if they stayed, if they'd actually gone up to the championship. Yeah, hmm. I feel, I feel like, yeah, that quali- that the thing is, you look at a club like Stevenage, a club like Cheltenham, I mean, if, even a club like Orient, <coughs> where like it's built like a national league, like a league two club where it is rolling a lot of the time. I think, I think right for Stevenage, cause this obviously it's, it's my club. It's created by support. There was only, I think, was it one player, maybe two that, that had a two year deal or didn't have a deal that was coming over to next year. So we had to sign them all back on um, compared to Peterborough. Where, I mean, they, some of them signed two, three, four year deals, don't they? So um, yeah, it's always a bit, it's always a bit different when you get to league one, cause you get the clubs that are, sort of coming up and still using the same system as they've always done. And then you've got clubs that are in, still in that championship Premier League where you're signing multi-year deals. Mm. Yeah. Strategy is working for me, isn't it, So, Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so we're now going to go to the Memorial Stadium uh, where Joe Barton, uh, where B- Bristol Rovers first game that he's not under Joe Barton uh, while well, he was sacked after the uh, Stevenage game. Uh, and that be against uh, newly promoted Northampton. 
Yeah, and life without Joey Barton goes on for Bristol Rovers. Uh, picked up a 2-1 win over Northampton Town. Uh, they move up to 13th in the league. Chris Martin opened the scoring in the first 10 minutes. And Anthony Evans slotted a penalty away on the half-hour mark. Manny Monk got a goal back for Northampton on the 57th minute, but it didn't prove to be... It didn't prove to spark any sign of comeback and Northampton sit just above those relegation spots. It's a fairly even game. Uh, both sides about 12 shots each. Five on target for Northampton, six on target for Bristol. And I don't think they're in any danger, Bristol. They were a pick to push for playoffs under Barton with the transfer window they had for me. Um, without him... Uh, he hasn't had the best start to life this season either with them. He hasn't delivered, which is why he's gone, obviously. But I, I don't see them pushing for anything this season. I think it'll be another mid-table finish for Bristol. Yeah. Do you, is anyone? Is there been rumours about who's uh, who's going to go in there? Uh, Bristol yet? Or is it so early doors? I haven't seen anyone linked yet. But it would be interesting to see who goes in there. Because I think, I think it's a job that... It's an attractive definitely... job. Yeah, it's an up and cut. It's definitely a great job for an up and coming manager um, to come in and, and, and do a good job. I think I think I look at a lot of the the, the sacked managers uh, from League One clubs that maybe like your, your Holdens and you think people people like that maybe who like have that who've gone from bigger clubs probably up there maybe even Championship relegation Championship clubs who want to prove themselves at a mid level League One club to get a bigger move or to get them up. It's a great proving ground. I think it's a job someone like Ainsworth, Gareth Ainsworth, could take over, maybe. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to drop down to League One and prove himself all over again. Yeah. Um, But his record with QPR, there's a lot more issues with them um, than just the performances on the pitch. Yeah. But his his record was dismal. I think it was four wins in 28 games or something. Yeah. I know it's championship, but... That's that level of quality at QPR shouldn't be playing football this badly and be in that relegation fight. Because, like, like I said, I, I think I said this before, where like that Elias chair when he played for us, one of the best. I know it was a couple of years ago now, but one of the best players to ever put on a Stephen Hood shirt. And I think there was definitely something there. Then it wouldn't, it wouldn't just, it wouldn't just be the manager. Like there is something majorly wrong with that club. But. um Gareth Ainsworth, I think, is is a is a very good manager. He's shown that as was it ten plus years at Wickham, something like that. Wick- yeah, um, we got him up to the championship. At be honest, it's it was quite a small budget Wickham have compared to the Portsmouths <laughs> and the and the Peterboroughs and the Sheffield Wednesdays and the teams he's competing with. Um, and well, he nearly got he nearly got them out of the championship relegation zone last well, season. Last season. With Wickham reaching the championship, didn't they only reach the championship on a technicality because of COVID? Yeah, they did. It was their point, points per game because they played like a game less and then went into the playoffs and kind of shithoused their way there, I thought, personally. It's a good way to do it, though. That's why they're doing it. Yeah, it's a good way to get... It's, they had a decent chance of getting out of the championship as well. They're only, they're only a couple of points and they nearly stayed out <laughs> because... Um, who was it? Was it was it a Wick, was Wigan or someone was like had like a point deduction over their heads and someone and the EFL appealed it because that was that point where EFL just appealed everything <laughs> with a point deduction. Yeah, was it Derby? It, yeah, I think I it was, Derby, it was yeah. Derby or not. 
Yeah, I think it was. Derby just, just stayed up, and then they were like, they, they should be getting a 12 point induction for something, and then that never happened. I think it did, but it just like rolled over to the next season, and Dub and Wickham wanted it then. Mm. It was a weird, the, weird scenario. On the subject of manager sackings, at what point do we become a phone in for people who want their managers gone? That's the second week in a row we <laughs> mentioned a manager under massive pressure. I think it was Lincoln two weeks ago, and then Barton yeah. last week, and they've not even survived. I think even 48 hours after we've said it. So if you do yeah. want someone gone, let us know. Uh, we're Derby, happy to... Derby County fans now entering the chat. <laughs> <laughs> two days later. Oh. For Warner's been sacked. They lose tomorrow. He's got to go. Oh, I'm upset. If they lose to Crew, I think he's gone. Because I, I don't to a lower league club. I don't think he's the most under pressure manager in the EFL, though. I think there is still managers, even in League One. I think there are still a couple. Uh, I'll get to it later, but I think there are still a couple mm, down the yeah. other end of the table in under more pressure. Understandable. Sorry, I'm just. So now we're going to go back to Ollie, who was at Charlton versus Bolton. Yeah, last week we mentioned that Bolton was stuttering a little bit. Um, and we look a bit silly now, I guess, because they've now gone and got wins at Wickham and Charlton within a week. Um, and now I've got five wins out of their last six, only outside the automatics on goal difference. Um, this win was slightly less emphatic than their win at Wickham um, on the balance of play. Charlton will probably feel they were deserving of a point. The opener was a well-worked short corner, uh, found its way to Randall Williams on the edge of the box, and he curled a delightful shot in off the far post. Dion Charles made it two just five minutes later with a typical finish inside the box, which was his ninth of the season, putting him as joint top sec- uh, joint second in the top scorer standings. Uh, for Charlton, uh, Panuche Kamara probably missed the best chance to get them back in the game, firing over from eight yards out. And Alfie May was uncharacteristically wasteful when the ball fell to him on the edge of the box, also firing over. Apart from that, Williams missed a late chance to put a gloss on the scoreline for Bolton, which would have probably flattered them a little bit. But even so, they'll have been more than happy to travel back up north uh, with the three points and a clean sheet. That is, three of Bolton's next four games are now against Shrewsbury, Cambridge and Exeter, which are all teams who sit in the bottom seven of the form table across the last 10 games. And so I do think they might well be on the charge um, and right back in the title race come the end of November. Uh, uh, interestingly, at the end of November, they've got a trip to Oxford and then they face Portsmouth at home in consecutive games. And so I think come that point, we could be looking at who are we going to be seeing sort of mm. more consistently in that top two. It's, it certainly feels like, oh, and I've got a nice little build-up there to, to get themselves right back in the mix. Yeah, It's all very congested at the top of the league, isn't it? You've got Oxford on 29, Bolton 29, Peterborough 28, Barnsley 27, Stevenage 26, Blackpool 23, and then Lincoln on 22. Yes, we're that. We, like, we've, we've been saying for a few weeks, haven't we, that it feels like Oxford and Pompey might run away with stuff. Mm. And that, and that but again, obviously, you know, stereotypical football fans in the sense that all it takes is a couple of negative results and suddenly everyone else is back in it. But yeah, no, it, it, it certainly has bunched a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. What you want, if not if you're if you're a neutral, well, not a neutral, but if your club's not going to be fighting it, it's what you want from a from our point of view. Yeah, because it means obviously with with the United Orient who are on the rise at the moment. A couple of points, a couple of if you go on a six, seven game unbeaten run, like you mm. have recently, you're you're gonna be up in that playoff picture. So it's gonna be really, really interesting. So mm. we're just gonna take a quick break now, a quick ad break, and then I'll uh, be back with you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the League One podcast here on Look Sports Media. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that little ad break. And we will now... Go to the Majeski Stadium. Oh, it's not Majeski. It's the Select Car Leasing Stadium. Sorry, wrong sponsor. Um, as Reading play Portsmouth. It was a bit of a, a game that Reading shockingly took the lead in, considering their recent form, um, with goals from Charlie Savage. And, yeah, Charlie Savage. And, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, took a shocking lead, including with a goal from Charlie Savage. Um, but characteristically... Portsmouth took it back 3-2 from goals from Azure in Bishop and Devlin competing a brilliant comeback and retaining their beaten start to this season. It's 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 incredible how Portsmouth keep doing this. And if they keep and in my opinion, they will probably run away with the league. I remember getting in and watching uh, watching uh, Soccer Saturday and Reading turning up, and I remember distinctly putting in the group chat, have Portsmouth got off the bus yet? And within f- ten minutes of that they levelled the game. So next time, I'm sorry, Reading fans, I will keep my gob completely shut so this won't happen again. Yeah. I also, Reading, a, a sort of... I know, I know it's a bit early to call to call them doomed, but with with the club right now and, and the... is it Was it Reading that are now unavailable to, to, to register players? Was I, Did I hear that right? Or something like that? Um, I think they're under an embargo, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It feels like this season that that they're going to be doomed to go back to League Two, and there's some light at the end of the tunnel. With um, there has been rumours, obviously a couple of weeks ago, there's about William's story, but I think that's he's either failed the the fit and proper test or he's not got money because that's what William's story does. Um, but uh, there is some light, albeit a murky light, at the end of the tunnel with rumours of Mike Ashley going to purchase Reading Football Club. So I expect the stadium to be called the Sports Direct Stadium in about a year. Um, I would, I would not call Mike Ashley the light. I'd, I'd call it the yeah. tunnel is pitch black. <laughs> <laughs> Reading are not getting out of a tunnel. It's darkness. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are poor, aren't they? they they've conceded mm. at least two goals in six of their last seven games. I just think that that young defence that early on in the season was surprising a few is getting hugely found out and. They've obviously not got any money or even they're not even allowed to replace the, those players. Um, yeah, that's that, that that's going to be a massive turnaround if they somehow survive this league, isn't it? Especially with threats of more administration, more points deductions, mm-hmm. etc. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't think it helps when your manager doesn't know your best team either. It's chopping and changing, trying to find combinations and in the position sort of Reading are in. 
they kind of just need a sort of a consistent selection, try and build a partnership, try and build a, a way of playing. And they just, they just don't, they've still got quality players. Like they've still got Lewis Wing, they've still got Harley Dean at this level, he's a good centre back. Harvey Nibbs, Sam Smith, David Button. Like they've still got good players. Um, yeah, we're weirdly half those players are just not in squads though, are they? Like so, like you know, I, I remember when we when we played them and thinking, oh, that'll be a tough game. And then looking at their their squad and even on their even their bench the week before, and like all those players are missing. Yeah, like, I know Sam Smith's just come back from a long injury, and I think Nibs had the same as well. But yeah, yeah. So, can't I, the... I do feel sorry for him. On the subject of Reading and conceding goals, it's 11 years since the 7-5 with Arsenal in the Cup today. Oh, blimey. Was that when um, Shamak took off his shirt, threw it in the away end and then realised, oh, shit, it's going extra time. I need my shirt back. The funny thing about that game is a lot of people don't realise it. Uh, Martinez, uh, now at Villa, changed his name after conceding five of that game. He used to uh, he used to be on the team sheet back then as Damian Martinez. He, and he after that game he became known as Emiliano Martinez. So I think the embarrassment of conceding five to Reading just had him change his name completely. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I think I think I think with the with the League Cup it just brings up mad results, especially when it's ch- chop and change sides. I think also it's something like four or five years to the day that there was, I know it's not, there's no clubs in the in league one. These are two massive Premier League clubs, but I think it was, it's four years today that Arsenal and Liverpool drew five all in the league cup. It just draws, I think the league cup, especially around this area, because a lot of the time it's team players that need to prove themselves just draws up massively random results, especially with the league cup coming up this weekend. The Premier League's the AFL trophy, isn't it? Yeah. You can probably say that. Yeah. <coughs> but yeah, I think, and- I think, did anyone see anyone see Carly Bishop's uh, celebration? By the way, in this game, yeah, he threw tennis balls, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think there was a tennis ball protest, wasn't there, from the Reading yeah. fans? And yeah, scored scored. Uh, I think I think he scored the equaliser two two. And yeah, ran past the Reading fans, feigning just lobbing tennis balls at them. Throw a bit of salt in the wound there, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think with Reading, um, I, I sort of link them to a little bit like what Bolton was in twenty nineteen twenty with their. When they had about, I think it was 20, 25 points deducted or something big like that. They're about the same. Um, and they didn't pay their players. So they had a lot of their youth side and um, they just had to rebuild. And uh, they did that in League Two. They went up straight away. And obviously, a couple of years, they had a couple of years to steady themselves in League One and now they're fighting promotion again. So maybe that's got to be what um, Reading do. But I don't trust who they've got in charge at the moment. I think if they knew they were going to be in trouble this year, they shouldn't have gone for a foreign manager that's not really had that experience. What Ruben Tellers has done recently is got relegated in the Premier League by Southampton and not much else. Southampton put up more than a fight of people realise, though. I think if you told Southampton fans that they drew free all with Arsenal, they beat beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and not Man City out of the Carabao Cup, a cup that Man City love to win all the time as well. They'd have assumed they'd finish somewhere in mid-table, but to tell to tell a Southampton fan that they'd fin- that they finished rock bottom and rarely lost to any of the top six in the Premier League would just create a paradox in their heads. I think. Yeah, I just feel like though that that especially in the in the condition that Reading are in at the moment, they should have gone for a more experienced manager in this division, someone who knows 
or even someone who's more experienced in League Two, just someone that has more experience in the lower divisions to get them out of a hole they're in. I just it's think it's a one choice. Like, say, if, if you're if if you are a manager looking at that sinking ship, you don't want to be on that side of it, do you? You want to be on the other side when they get taken yeah. over. And, you know, it's a much rosier job for like I'll give you a, a, a straight away a Gareth Ainsworth, for example. If he picks that up in in League in League Two, and suddenly they've got a budget and a massive stadium, bringing them up's going to be a piece of piss, isn't it? Like, so, like, I, I just I, I would it would surprise me if they had people banging the door down to have that job in in summer. Yeah, especially yeah. if. The takeover goes ahead. I think mo- most experienced managers that would be a job they look at and go, "I'm not touching it." Um, but it's exactly how Rooney made his break into management was with Derby, and he did fantastic with Derby. Nearly, he nearly kept them up. And I think I think I read somewhere they did actually want to keep him, but he'd said. That he would he would just be a reminder of a horrible time for fans at Derby, so he had to leave. It was best for all parties if he just left. Look at him now. Mm, did well at Birmingham. Yeah. Did well at Birmingham, big name. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me too there from like Zola and uh, Rowett though. It's like mm. the exact same. It's like they've just done it again. I know it's not League League One again, but no, knowing this, they'll probably be joining us this year, next year. So that's all quite early. I think the bottom uh, three in that league's done. Oh, was it Sheffield? Is it Sheffield Wednesday? QPR. QPR. Yeah. Wednesday at Doom, by the way. I, I, the owner there is just a bit of a knob. He's just a knob. Like, who in their right mind puts their own name in the in their own stadium? But like, who does that? Especially like, when it's... Especially when it's a historic stadium like Hillsborough. Yeah. Especially to someone that brings like especially for I'm I'm yeah, as well as a Steamish fan, I also I'm a I'm a little bit of a Liverpool fan as well. And that poignant memory and you're just sort of disgracing it a little bit. I know it's a bit of a fine line, but um that's what I mean, is it's such an historic ground and a point of ground for English football history. And you're sort of disgracing it by just putting your name on everything. It's a little bit disgusting in my opinion, but Let's hope Sam, it goes Sam, out. Are you, a, are you a real League One fan? I, I know. I know. Chris loves Arsenal. I know Owen loves Liverpool. Do you? Are you no, same with me? Just, just Dorian. Dorian. Yeah, good. Yeah, just <laughs> But yeah. Um, so now we're gonna we're gonna go to to, to Port Vale against Cheltenham. So uh, Chris is beaming with excitement about this one. <laughs> He's doing it again. He's done it again. Well, who'd have thought that? We were saying a couple of weeks ago we were celebrating just for the one goal against Derby, and we've now scored five goals in the space of a week. You're uh, at the relegation zone, or out bottom zone. Sorry, not relegation. We're, we're, we're out of the table. We're off bottom of the table. Reading moved below us. Um, weirdly enough, Port Vale were the dominant team. Uh, Alfie Devine opened the scoring in the 32nd minute, and Sean Long responded in the 42nd. And he added another in the second half on the 66-minute mark. Uh, makes him joint top goal scorer with Will Goodwin, who scored two in midweek against Blackpool in 3-2 loss. Uh, possession-wise, just shows how dominant Port Vale were. Uh, 68% possession and 16 attempts on goal with five shots on target. For us, we had just four attempts on goal with three on target. And 
we actually accumulated 19 fouls. So it's a sort of scrappy game towards the end of a bottom table you'd expect. Uh, 19 fouls and four yellow cards. But for Port Vale, I think things are looking on the up for us at Cheltenham. Uh, I don't actually... I don't think we're going to survive in League One anyway. I do still think we're a relegation candidate and probably the strongest down there behind Reading, despite this run. It It's obviously going to end somewhere. It's going to deflate morale once again, and we'll probably go on a run of losses. But for now, Cheltenham fans can enjoy it. Port Vale, though, I said earlier about other managers under pressure and... That's exactly where the pressure is right now. Winless in five with four losses for Port Vale now. So it's a bit worrying for them, I think. And they could get 16th in the league. They could potentially be dragged into that relegation fight somehow, especially with teams like Wigan rising further and further. Yeah, I feel I feel for Chris when when he was sent about, like, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. I remember a couple of years ago when I was watching Stevenage, um, 2020, I think it was the 21-22 season um, when Tisdale came in November and we were still crap. And then in January, we won up. We we won beaten most of the most of the win uh, most of the most of January, and we were thinking, oh, I'm about to get ourselves out of here. And then we didn't win for like two and a half months. And like, just it's just I think once you lose a lot for the lot of relegation side, if you lose, you just sort of lose any momentum you've ever had. And it just continues until you somehow get a win in a scrappy way or something it's, like that. It, it's a weird one as well because it's either it never really comes against those mid-table sides. It always seems to either you get battered by a team towards the top of the league, like your Portsmouth or your Oxfords, yeah. or you lose a six-pointer. And I don't know if anyone could give their insight on this, but what is more devastating for a club to lose to a to get hammered by a team towards the top of the table that are flying or to lose to a team who are relatively close to you in the table and in the same situation as you? I, I I'd probably say lose to the team near you because that's points that they get ahead of you rather yeah. than a lot of the sides like if you get battered by like a like say you get you lose six nil to Portsmouth. Let's just say that for example. Um and you're near the bottom of the table. Those games are most likely free hits. You might the goal difference obviously is still crucial, but that is sort of a free hit, really. Whilst if you lose to like, let's just say you lose to Reading and they go ahead of you in the table, and they and they keep that sort of lead, you might get relegated because of that. So, yeah, that's my opinion. I would agree. I would agree with that. I think so we are. Daryl Clark probably very much enjoyed that victory because I thought he was quite harshly sacked by Port Vale. I know they were on a really, really bad run of form, but to keep Port Vale up in itself was probably an achievement last year. And I think that that could have been a factor in what put us ahead in this game. Like I said about Port Vale with a dominant team, we know so many times that managers could sort of use that extra motivation to sort of push their players up. Um whether it shows on the foul stat, some harsh memories from Port Vale, maybe some bitter memories from his sacking. Uh, whether that sort of imprinted on he's imprinted that on his players in some form, I don't know. But yeah, I feel like Daryl Clark was a good appointment though. Cheltenham, I think I think they made yeah. the right decision going for him because he might not have as much experience in League One, but 
he's a great manager. And I think if there's any chance, if you have any chance, which I believe is probably quite slim, but if you had any chance of staying up, I think that was a complete right appointment. So now we're going to go to St. James's Park in Exeter. As Exeter were looking to try and get anything out of this game to end a, a run of six straight defeats after a great start to the season. Um, but he didn't start well at all. As um, Alistair Smith for Lincoln City put the ball in the roof of the net after just after, after just 20 minutes, um, just about 10 yards, um, easy as a like after a failure to clear uh, a long throw. It's just at the end of the day for, for Exeter, that's just how they've got to the rut they're in at the moment. Um, but second half, they looked like the better side. They they, they were pushing for equaliser. Um, and it did come just nine minutes before the end of the game when uh, Trevitt, who is online for Brentford, had a great header from about eight yards out. Great strike. Um, but then Mitchell had a chance to win it and sort of end that seven month, six match unbeaten winless run of losses with a win. But uh, he just missed out and Exeter just couldn't get their goal. Even though they were the better side. But I don't know. I just feel like if they keep going as they are, Exeter could be dragged into that relegation scrap too. Definitely a manager under pressure now, Gary Caldwell. Because yeah. they were they were top after what eight games weren't they or something like that and now they've lost what yeah. seven seven in a row I think it is I did write it down yeah uh, they've yeah, yeah seven, seven, seven eight seven eight or eight in a row yeah yeah it's 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 tough I think because especially how good the start was and and I know it, it's not really count for the league but that squad morale were beaten like they beat Stevenage in the cup they beat who obviously assigned their league they've beaten. Was it Luton? I think it was Luton Town, didn't they? Be a Premier League Luton, side in the yeah. cup as well in the League Cup, and they've got a chance on Tuesday night in a in a quarter final in the Carabao Cup. Chance to get to a quarter final for the first time, and even though that even though it's a League One beat League Two, they're probably not the favourites. They're playing Mantle Town, who are obviously unbeaten at the moment. So, but if really if they can get anything out, if they can win that game, I think that'll do wonders for them in the league because it gives it gives them that squad round knowing that they've got a quarter final to look forward to, and the players will work harder because. You know, they could they could be playing at Anfield, Old Trafford, um, the Emirates, for example. So, I think I think if they can, if if, if winning in the Tuesday night could really help them. And also about their finances, because I think they're a fan they're a fan owned club, and I think for the first time in however many years they actually lost money last year. Yeah, they um, I often wonder about these sorts of things, though, about like whether for a team that are in bad form, whether cup runs are. A nice little distraction away from the league, or actually whether they prefer to have a Tuesday off and then yeah. play anything up at the weekend, and then you know just have some time away from the pressures of the league, and then come back to it. Yeah, I'll say it's not Port, it's not Mansfield. That's Port Bale we've got. Um, it's Middlesbrough, but um, still though, Middlesbrough is still a little bit of a struggling time in the championship. But of course, they're they're going to be underdogs in that, so there's no pressure on them. So that might work out the best for them. Well, Middlesbrough in the Championship pit themselves up. I know they lost 2-0 to Stoke yeah. at the weekend, but without going into too much detail on them, that's for the Championship guys to do. Uh, what Carrick sort of turned around there has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's kind of gone back to what he had last year. So. 100%. Have we got any, any news on the Lincoln boss? I know last week we were talking about the Shamrock Rovers gaffer potentially coming over. Anyone I think I've anything? heard he's staying at Shamrock now, apparently. Interesting. Cow- Cowley's been linked again in League Two, hasn't he? As well as obviously the link, like every League Two job and then Lincoln as well. I don't know why. I think they should just go for him because I feel like a lot of the time it worked. I think I think 
They should give him a shot. But the problem is, there's always that problem of bringing in a former loved boss. Doesn't work out most of the time, or at least some of the time. I know Stephen Edge, it worked out the second time around for Graham Wesley, when he did a, a decent job. He got relegated, obviously, in League One, but then he had a decent job getting us back into the playoffs in League Two the next year. But then he came back for the third time in that doomed cool, season. Oh, fourth time. Oh, I forgot he did it four times. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Um, I think second time was his most successful when he got us to League One. Third time, he got us it was relegated. We had a poor squad anyway. And nearly got us back up. Uh, but then the fourth time was just not great at all, really. So... Yeah, so other other stories aren't there. You know, Nathan Jones did it for Luton. Um, yeah, you know, you've got there are there's there are managers there that have, have come back and, and done it, and it's like I've never been away. I, I, for for a little bit and, until um, Bloomfield got Wickham going, I was sort of thinking I've wondered whether that would be a an easy transition for Ainsworth back over there, but he's not going to get back in there now, is he? No. Think... Favorite for the Lincoln job is Danny Cowley with Nathan Jones second, Tom Shaw third, and Stephen Bradley in fourth. Okay. Okay. Bradley is Bradley is the Charlotte Rivers manager. Yeah. Um, it's saying here that there's uh oh just don't say, but um apparently uh, according to the owner of uh of Lincoln, um apparently these they're still looking. Um there's there's been a change in what he thought was manager managers that were available, so he's gonna have a look. He's gonna have more of a look. I think there's a lot, especially with a lot of sides sacking their managers lately. It, a lot of the sides that have sat the managers, it gives them a bit more of an idea. Yeah, so, it's plenty of managers out there, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit weird. It's, it's, I, I don't know. I feel like this is the most amount of managers that have probably been sat at this time of the season. Because I've not really seen as much as this before. It might just be because it's now, but... And here we are talking about Gary Caldwell under pressure, Paul Ward under pressure. There's just people like us piling this pressure on. Yeah. Not. I've got another manager under pressure in another game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to go now to uh, the Pirelli Stadium. It's Burton play Leighton Orient. Um, yeah, it's a, a game of two of the most informed teams in League One, um, again, with Leighton Orient and Burton Albion. Um, the game was kind of overshadowed in the 13th minute with a, a it looks like an ACL injury to Jordan Graham, um, which for in is kind of a big problem because he's our most creative player, probably our second best technical, technically gifted player. Um, he's already got three or four assists this season as well. Um, so he is going to be a huge miss going forward and pretty much defensively as well with the new wing-back system we sort of play. Um, Orion should have taken the lead from Saturio after a long kick from Solbrin, Sol who came, came across, launched the ball forward. Saturia rolled his defender, went through one-on-one and he, he took the heaviest touch I've ever seen from someone one-on-one and the goalkeeper, Max Crokin, did extremely well to get down. Um, Mark Helm had a good chance for Burton, which he hit straight at Bryn. Um, they had another chance on the edge of the box when Hamer uh, uh, had a goal-bound shot, which was brilliantly blocked from Tom James. Um, and then late on, Oshilaja had a, a really, really good chance, but it's probably the wrong man in that sort of position, a, a composed striker would probably put that into the bottom corner, but he has spooned it completely out of the stadium. Um, Burton bounced back from a defeat to Carlisle and Orient now have one defeat in nine with three draws in a row. Yeah. Am I right in saying Graham's had quite a bad history of injuries? It was mainly hamstrings I think he had problems with. Um, but yeah, it's just, but his injury record is not, per- not, not 
it's not glittering shall we say um yeah if he gets going he, oh, when he came in i was quite excited he had that brilliant season at gillingham i think it was where he got like 13 14 goals um and just he's starting to get up to speed you can sit start seeing the quality and the crosses he puts into the box are, are delicious for any sort of number nine to tap in um but we don't have a proper number nine so that doesn't happen um he could have seven or eight assists if we had like a colby bishop in the box quite frankly we um like is sam was this game i mean like from an outsider's perspective this looks a bit like two sides that will be kind of 10th 11th etc um is that yeah. what it was like I, I think that's fair um i i had burton roughly around the playoffs at the start of the season they've now got everyone back from injury um we're on very good form but we've we've now got six or seven injuries again um but we still look solid there's competition for places um we're very very well coached i think under wellens as well um i think it's two solid league one outfits that if they're lucky and get a really good run together with no injuries no suspensions could trouble sixth or fifth or sixth um but we'll see i think Orient will now struggle to score goals with the creativity lost of Graham. Um, considering we, our wing-back replacement for Graham will now be a full-back, I would suspect we're going to be changing the system back to what we started the season with, which could cause some problems. Yeah. We'll now go to, to Wigan as uh, they play Shrewsbury. That, that was uh, Ollie's job, so we'll pass to him. Yeah, this was a game that was ultimately decided by Shane Dunkley's fourth-minute red card. Um, he hacked down Theo Asgard um, as he was clean through on goal. Not the happiest of returns for the former Wigan man. Um, from then on in, it was always going to be difficult for a side who scores so few goals to get anything from this game. Um, Stephen Humphreys opened the scoring with a lovely low finish into the far corner from just outside the box. Um, and from there, Shrew's job just got even harder. Um the second half was pretty much a case of when rather than if Wigan got their second. Uh, they wasted a glorious chance when Humphreys hit somehow headed wide from a yard out um, at the back post. And Jordan Jones was desperately unlucky to see his curling effort come back off the bar with the keeper well beaten. Uh, but the win was sealed when Callum Lang headed in from six yards out just two minutes after coming on, uh, completely unmarked. Um, and then Wigan saw the rest of the game out comfortably enough. Shrewsbury didn't muster a single shot on target. Um, after their mini revival of the past few weeks, they've been brought back to down to earth a little bit this week, conceding five goals without reply. Um, they're now 18th with just seven goals to their name in 15 games. So again, just a slight concern there about sort of their goal scoring. For Wigan though, that's now three wins on the bounce, all by 2-0 score lines, which has seen them climb out of the drop zone. Without that points deduction, they'd actually be ninth. Um, and so I think Sean Maloney will be hopeful that's the start of them kicking on towards the top half rather than looking over their shoulders. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I feel like with Wigan, it's just, um, I think maybe that game against Stevenage where it was a little bit stop start and they sort of knew that it was a, a bit scrappy that they wouldn't and where they were on the table and they were struggling, that maybe that was that catalyst for that sort of revival they've had recently. Um, and that can hopefully keep them on get them back into that sort of um, safety so they don't have to worry about that come into the season. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not, I mean, they're, they're a better squad, but they're not, I don't think they're dissimilar to what we were saying about Reading earlier in the sense that they've actually got, you know, four or five very, very strong players in that squad. Um, and so probably we were all always confident, like we said last week, that they'll come out of that relegation zone and won't be down there. Um, I think that, that point deduction will probably be the difference between 
them challenging bits and pieces um, or finishing mid-table. But I'm sure when you were in financial trouble, but they were, I think fans with, with a deduction would probably take the mid-table finish. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be back in the championship within three years for me. Uh, the fact that they can bounce back so strongly it, it shows the, the character between the two sides. I know they're both in situations. Wigan's situation was resolved. Reading's is still ongoing, but even while their situation was ongoing, Wigan were completely resilient on the pitch. And like we said about Reading, Reading just showed have yet to show any fight for me this season. Um, we've said about players missing and youth players in, but yeah, I think Wigan, they're, they're not going to be in any trouble already this season, looking at the form. Um, and interestingly enough, you've mentioned Shrewsbury and it's reminded me, uh, we spoke about managers earlier and who's available. Mm. I think it's nine vacant positions in the EFL. Uh, I believe Steve Cottrell is a manager who's still available. Yeah. So yeah, quite, quite surprised not to hear his name linked with quite you know some of the jobs because Shrews fans were, were gutted to see him go, weren't they? Yeah. Um, he he always received a warm welcome when he was at Cheltenham as well. Whenever they came back, um, I think when he when he came back, I went to one of the games uh, two seasons ago now when Michael Duff was in charge. And he was asked about Cottrell coming back to Warden Road. And Duff's answer was, it was going to be weird to hear him shouting at someone else on the touchline, not him. (laughs) Um, But one job I'm surprised not to hear his name involved in is Bristol Rovers. Mm. uh, Similar to Shrewsbury, a team who used to sit comfortably mid-table, had the potential to push on and haven't fulfilled it. So it, it could potentially be a job for him. Hmm. He was sacked by, by Shrewsbury, wasn't he? He wasn't, he wasn't let yeah. go. He wasn't like, he didn't leave, did he? That was always a bit harsh to me because I feel like Cotter's done quite a good job. He did quite a good job there. I think the argument was a different style of play, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, he wasn't well, sacked, by the way. He walked. Oh, okay. But wasn't, yeah. wasn't, he, he, he was like, he had COVID, didn't he, as well? And, yeah. you know, when he, when he came back out after that, um, oh. Yeah, like it, it, it felt like yeah. it, that, that, that situation fell apart a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that happens, doesn't it? You know, I feel like, like you say, over the style of football and clubs want to go in different directions. But um, yeah, he, he's definitely one that I think should be in in the frame for those types of jobs we've been mentioning. Yeah, I like I said, I think he's a great manager, and and especially for the level we are, the level that that this is at, he could easily get a team from going mid table to. Of pushing for promotion. So now we will go to Adams Park as Wickham Wanderers uh, hosted High Flying Oxford. Uh, we've got Sam on this one. Yeah, this this was quite an exciting game. A game of the penalties, I have, have nicknamed it. Uh, second place Oxford, who hadn't won in their previous two, and Wickham on the back of a 4 2 defeat to Bolton. Um, it was Oxford who took the lead through a Ruben Riga strike arriving late into the box after a good, uh, good pullback to the edge of the box. Um, Harris then had a great chance to make it two for Oxford, um, but his uh, shot was saved well by the Wickham goalkeeper. Uh, Wickham then levelled it um, with one of the funniest penalty decisions I've ever seen. The Oxford defender, I think it was McGuaney, has then fallen over and just literally outstretched his arm while he's falling over and 
the penalty has been given for handball. There was an expertly dispatched penalty from Lehigh. Uh, um, they were then awarded another penalty um, after a foul from James Beadle. Um, I thought that wasn't a penalty. I thought the striker took a really heavy touch. The ball's gone out of play. The striker's then fallen over. And then he's given the penalty for that. And again, Lehigh dispatched it. Um, and then the 96th minute, Oxford then got a penalty. And Cameron Bran- Brannigan off the bench scored in the 96th minute to give Oxford a point. But that's now no win in three for Oxford, who still currently occupy second, just in front of Bolton. Ollie, Ollie said we jinx managers. Uh, I think we're jinxing teams on runs of form as well, because a couple of weeks ago we said we're not sure where Oxford's run's going to stop. Uh, last week I said I didn't see Burton Albion losing to Carlisle. <laughs> so if, if anyone wants a team to lose, just let us know if you need Portsmouth's run stopped. Um, you have Oxford losing in a couple of weeks. That'd be nice. <laughs> Another weird departure from Shrewsbury there mentioned as well. Lehigh uh, seemed to just want out towards the end of a window. Mm. No sign of it happening before. And he was well. He was a very solid player for Shrewsbury. Very versatile, uh, capable of playing fullback and in midfield. Um. So he is he is a strange departure, but he, he seems to be enjoying life at Wickham. Yeah, I do. Yes. I thought I thought Wickham were a good side this year. I think I think like they're, they're like I said. I think there are sides that that knows what their means are. I think they picked up some brilliant players. Sam Vokes, I think, is a very 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 good signing. So I think it's a big coup for this division. Someone who's there is a bit strong, also has that experience up in the Premier League. He'll do well there. I was looking at some bits on those the other then the other day actually, and I think a big thing for them has been the continuity. So yes, that yes, Ainsworth went and had quite a, a very sort of you know. Um, direct style um bloomfield's gone in and they're just as direct and they've got the most the most long balls um in the league still which is you know in, in keeping with what they were doing last season which i always quite like that when a manager's prepared to go in and whether it fits their kind of style or not if something's working it's kind of stick with it so yeah they'll i think they'll be solid um for, for the season yeah i think, I think the Bloomfield's... emergence of freddie potts yeah. from online from west ham's really really impressed me at wickham yeah, yeah. i really wanted him us <laughs> I think I think I think I'm right in saying that because Bloomfield was at before he went to Colchester. I think it was Colchester he was at, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, he when he retired at, at Wickham, he was a coach at Wickham. Mm-hmm. So I presume he worked under Ainsworth and probably had the same sort of style. So it was easy just to transition that over. Yeah, if, if, if you've been there when it works, then I guess yeah, it, it just say seamless, isn't it? I guess I'm uh, probably part of why they appointed him in the first place. Yeah. Also, I think it'd be quite weird because there must be a few of these players in that in that start in that team who um who's probably playing with, with Bloomfield. And now to see him as a manager, that must be a quite weird one. It's um yeah, there's, there's many left now. There's Gareth McCleary possibly. Yeah. But even is Joe Jacobs still knocking around? Is he still still playing? Who's that sorry? Joe Jacobson, is he still, still in the Oh, uh, that is a good question. Um, I'm now going to find out for you. Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he, I'm probably, I think he is. Um, obviously, he doesn't get in the side anymore. Joe he Jacobson. definitely was last season. He has played 64 minutes this season. There you go. Yeah, I'd like, like on the subject of Oxford, I think they've got a couple of, well, a key few weeks coming up. Um, they go to Lincoln. They go to Lincoln midweek or tomorrow. 
um, which won't be easy with them sort of resurgent a little bit um, and looking to try and prove a point. Um, their next two league games after that, they then go to Orient, who we've said are in great form. Then they play Pompey at home. So I think they're looking at, they need to be picking up points in, in at least mm. one of those next two games um, yeah. or they're going into that Pompey game in not a great run of form and suddenly that wobble becomes a bit more than a wobble, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I think, Could I think it's the beginning of another Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, started off fantastically, looked like no one catching them, and then they've just slipped up and had to do it the hard way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 if if Oxford if can get back on that horse and win these next two games, that Portsmouth game is going to be such a good game to watch, especially if you're a neutral. Mm. I wish those are the games that I know we're going back to this TV debate, but those are the games Sky should put on telly because that's a game that a lot of people, especially with us, would like to watch. Um. Yeah. Next year, most of those will be on telly because Sky got that new TV deal with. But I think it's 270 games televised. But yeah, be interesting. I do always wonder, though, whenever, whenever I see a League One or, or even League Two game on TV, and I, I don't know about you guys, but when you're at a game, the quality doesn't quite feel so shit. And then you watch it on TV <laughs> and then you're like, oh God, oh God, I've told people to watch this um, and this isn't good. Yeah, I remember telling my mates to watch. It was Orient Stevenage on Boxing Day, which was on Sky. I was like, you must watch this game. It is the top two in League Two. Two completely contrasting styles. You must watch. And it was shite. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I'm the same. Um, I, I was in the press box for a Premier League game at Wolves a few years ago. Uh, Brighton beat them 4-0. And uh, it was the year Kukurea emerged. And I thought he looked outstanding on TV, but watching him actually live at a game, it was... I don't think he got beaten for the ball. I don't think anyone dribbled past him in the entire 90 minutes. Yeah. I do feel like that lower league TV should be televised, or at least, like, I think, really, there should be a new TV deal just for League One and Two, because... People like us, and a lot of people love lower league football because it's like it. I'm not, I'm, and this might be for the older people, but it's it's a bit like watching old football because there's no VAR, there's no goal line tech in many locations. It's just pure hard quality football. I think that's, that's what BT do really well. They showcase the national league, and they don't show as much, obviously, in the north and the south, but they showcase the playoffs. And the national yeah. league gets quite decent coverage, I think, from BT. There's always one yes they're probably the bigger games but there's always at least a game on for in the lower leagues they're they're, they're the same with the international leagues as well uh a mm. lot of the lower french teams are on bt i don't think the lower italians get on much no but i know that uh a lot of the lower uh part of the french uh, di- first division gets yeah. a lot of coverage and also tnt did really or bt when they were bt um before sky got back the rights they did really, really good coverage of the Bundesliga. Um, mm. They had like three or four games on a weekend. Um, they even, I think, I think they had a, a Bundesliga two gone game on every, 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 every weekend. Like a second division of German football on UK telly. It's mental. But it was are, we still, are we still going to be? Well, it's just like I was about to say, are we? Are we still going to be crying for TV deals? when we're travelling away to Blackpool on a Tuesday night or for a, a, a 7.45 kickoff on a Friday? Or... 
Yeah, yeah. that's going to be a big debate for another day. I think that one. Yeah, next next season, I think the fixture release because I think they're saying they're going to announce when the fixtures come out. They're going to announce the TV games up till December. So I think if we do a pod for the fixture release day, that will be a bit one of an interesting. Mm. I think. Can't um, wait for Carlisle away on a Sunday at six p.m. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to go for our last game of the weekend. Funny enough, it is Carlisle as they travel to Cambridge. Uh, Chris covered this one. I may as well change my job title here to relegation expert because I seem to have every <laughs> every game has been a relegation candidate. Uh, if Sam had the game of penalties, I had the game of red cards. Two red cards for Carlisle, who now sit 21st in the table after a 1-0 loss to Cambridge. George Thomas in the 73rd minute. Uh, wrapping it up for Cambridge, just getting that 1-0 victory. Again, not a exciting game from Cambridge. I said last weekend after uh, we beat them 1-0, it looked like a relegation game. Nothing of note, really, other than the goal. Obviously, a bit different this week with Carlisle having Jack Armour sent off in the 83rd minute. And in the third minute of stoppage time, there was 13 minutes of stoppage time in this game. But in the third minute of stoppage time, Alfie McCalmont received a red card as well. For Carlisle, really time to worry in League One, I think. A sit 21st, one away win this year, and it's come against Bolton Wanderers. This was also a game they had no attempts on target. That is a big thing for me and Carlisle. I said this last week. I mean, do we just rename them Carlisle nil? Like, they just don't score any goals. Like... 0.388 xg story graded here. They failed to score in half their games this season. I like, you know, I said earlier about um, a, t- a team and their kind of run and it being a pivotal kind of run. I think Carlisle have got a massive game at the end of November. They 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 get up against Reading, but before that they've got to play Charlton, Barnsley, and Bristol Rovers. They could lose all three of those, and then mm. suddenly you're looking at a massive relegation six point. I, like for for me. Um, I, I think they're I think they're as good as gone. Like, like not not in a sense that, that from a positional point of view, but I look at their performances. I, I, just, I just think there's, there's a there's a cut off in terms of the level they can reach. Um, yeah, for, for me, they're yeah. attacking wise. They're just not scoring enough goals. Yeah, no. I don't know. I just I, I, I also I'm, I'm really confused by the just the 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 cut off between the top two sides that went up last year in Stevenage and Leighton Owen and then Northampton and Carlisle. So it seems like Stevenage and Stevenage obviously been the, the sort of standout promoted side this year and Leighton Owen had a slow start, but they're, they're flying at the moment. Why is this? It, it must be, I, th- I, I would think it's probably just due a transfer policy, but yeah, there's such a, there's such a degree in like how well those two sides are doing compared to, 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 to Northampton and Carlisle. Yeah, I think Stephen is invested incredibly, incredibly well. We did our business incredibly late, so it took a while to bed in. Carlisle didn't do any business really of note, other than probably Sean Maguire. Um, and then Northampton, they re-signed Mark Leonard, um, but didn't really sign anyone marquee. Like, you can't pick out a name from who Northampton signed going, ah, other than Mark Leonard, you are a game changer. Yeah. I also think it goes back to what we said the other week about the fact that Stevenage came up with a squad that was very, very effective at a certain style. Orient came up with a side, tried it the way it was. It wasn't working. They've changed it and they've gone totally different. 
Carlisle just seems to me to be a side that are we've come up, we're going to play the same as everyone else, just a bit worse. Like, I, I just yeah. you, you're not going to play up there in that. Like, yeah, I also feel like it's probably also to do with I'm not being like rude to, to the two managers there, but both of them haven't got the experience at Leighton Orient that Evans has, and um, and I've got the Leighton Orient's managers. Sam, he says, Wellins, thank you. <laughs> just completely blanked me for a second, but Evans and Wellins. They know this division. Evans more than Wellens, but they've managed in this division before. They know it. Brady and 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 uh, haven't really done that. So that's what I mean. Experience counts a lot as well in this division, and it's going to cost them. I think a lot of run run a uh, long run. Sorry, um, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I think I think this year, if I was going to predict my bottom my bottom four. It'll be Reading, Cheltenham, uh, Northampton, and Carlisle at the moment. Fleetwood surviving. I, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like they have the quality yeah. to stay up. I'd probably go Reading, Carlisle, Shrewsbury, and then one of Exeter or Fleetwood. Chris, are you hearing that? You were not involved <laughs> in that conversation. I'm not sure how. Um, I don't think I I have full belief in Daryl Clark that he will pull them out of this situation. I actually think with Clark, it's been an appointment. I think it's been looked at with a a viewpoint of we could most likely are going down to League Two. And I think with what you said about he's not too experienced in League One, I think he's albeit early, but I think he's been appointed with the viewpoint of we're probably going down to League 2 and I'm going to have to come straight back up. It's easier to appoint a manager, keep faith in them that they can bring us back because he may not have experience in League 1, but he has experience in League 2 and coming up to League 1. And he's working with a squad that have won League 2 before. Yeah, I... I feel like with Daryl Clark, I think it's just a have a go. If you don't, then it's not the greatest, but we can go up. We can see if we can go up next season. We're we're not a side who um, really get rid of managers all too easily. Um, we said about Ainsworth and looking at him and his record with QPR and how he still had a job a long time before Elliot was gone from Cheltenham. I was wondering how he was still there. I think the sacking was overdue with Elliot. I don't think it would have changed the situation. But as for my picks, um, I'm going to agree with Owen on Reading, Carlisle and Cheltenham. But I don't think Northampton are going to be in there for me. I think at least one of the teams in that bottom four has a run in them to come out of it. Um, Northampton are possibly that team for me. I think we're looking at a case of if things continue, Port Vale get dragged into the relegation conversation. For me, they're already in the relegation conversation, even though they're 16th. But I think they're going to get dragged into it if things go on the way they are. Fair enough. I think I, I think well, I did my pre pre-season predictions. I'm pretty sure I had Port Vale near the bottom. Yeah, I, I had I had Cambridge and Exeter both in there, um, and 
no, Exeter, obviously, I tumbled a little bit. Cambridge have surprised me a little bit. When we when I went to um, the Abbey for the game against them, they were far, far better than I expect them to be, just in terms of setup and style of play. Mm. I think that, I think that'll be fine. Yeah, I think that was the opposite for me. When Cambridge came to our place, they were shocking. I don't know if it was because we were really good or they were just piss poor. And at that time, they were top of the league. Yeah, I think so. It's yeah, quite a hot and cold team. It's contrast, though, isn't it? When you went well, but they seem to against us knock it around really nicely at the back. But obviously, we're a side that will let you do that. So, mm. um, you know, they, they, they don't get wrong, they like cutting edge. But I expected us to kind of sort of bully them a little bit. We didn't really do that. Um, whereas I guess trying to go and play that style against Orient, if Orient have got better players that are doing it better, then they're not going to look as strong, are they? Just a quick topic to close with. Um, and it's we're obviously all fans who regularly attend games. And just a quick question for you guys what is the best visiting player you've seen visit your stadium? I think Owen and I are going to say the same thing here. Go on, you but, go first. Um, uh, Greg Lee was brilliant for Oxford. Um, I, oh, yeah. I, it's, it's always easy to pick a player that's scored twice, um, but just in terms of his actual technical sort of quality, um, yeah, he was really, really strong. Marlon, I, th- I thought Marlon Pack looked really good for Portsmouth, um, just controlled the game. You, you could tell that he's played at a much higher level. He, you know, he, he, everything they kind of did went through him um, and he, he dictated everything um, for them. So, yeah, I'd probably go those two, so Marlon Pack and Greg Lee. Yeah, hundred percent. This season, Greg Lee was yeah, like to to, to do what he does in midfield to score those score those two goals effortlessly and just controlling the game. World class player. Wouldn't be surprised if he's in the championship in the next couple of years. For me, possibly cheating a bit, but for me, it's a lone player, and it was Saki while he was at Charlton last season. Um. Final day of the season, we drew two all with uh, Charlton. Alfie actually got his last goal for us against them, ironically. Um, but Ratsaki just looked fantastic on the ball, uh, constantly causing problems for our fullbacks. And well, it goes to show that he moved on from League One. I think he's, is he, did he go on loan to Ipswich in the end? No, he's, 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 he's still at Palace. Did you, he's, I don't know if you saw this, but um, on Friday, um, he came on for like the last 20, 25 minutes and Hodgson panned the youth players at the end of the game. Um, Palace were dreadful, by the way. Um, but he bought on a couple of young players and he threw them massively under the bus at the end of the game and basically said, we bought on young legs to change the game and they didn't do anything for us. Um, and, you know, it's re- really escaping. But no, I, 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 well, I agree with you, Rack Raksaki last, last season looks a massive cut above league one, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure there was talk of here Ipswich being interested in the summer in a loan deal for him hmm. but with, with how he performed in League One and it, it being from a team like Palace I'm not surprised Palace held on to him yeah a couple of years ago for me I I, I when Bristol Rovers came and played us um because I had my dad uh I got my dad lots of the games and um they turned us over I think it was 4-0 I think they beat us this was when they literally gone up with the skin of their teeth but that's 7-0 Elliot Anderson was quality for them. Obviously, he's now with us, and we've not really seen him really, considering that he's had injuries and and um, unfortunately had a car. He was in a car crash last week, and I hope if he, I uh, hope he gets well soon as well. And um, congratulations to the birth of his daughter as well a couple months ago. But um, 
yeah, once, if he's fit and firing, I, I, I can't wait to see him play as well. Are you for me, off, if we're going off this season for me, Colby Bishop, the movement that it's just his movement, the, the difference between a striker like we've got, I'll use Saturi as an example, the difference between Saturi and Colby Bishop is all about movement. And when the ball is coming into the box, it's the peel off the defender or the late move in front of the centre half who's not expecting it. It's, it's just the difference between getting 10 goals and 25 goals. Just yeah. the little finer details in their game, the way they I, think, I always, the way they see the bigger picture. I always say that when, whenever you watch players that are of a higher standard. I actually think the technical differences between players in League One and Championship Premier League isn't massive. I think the bigger differences are, like you say, those tiny little details of the intelligence, the movements, you know, mm. like how well drilled they are. Um, I always remember speaking to um, Scott Laird um, at Stevenage when we played uh, Tottenham in the FA Cup. And he he said he, he couldn't believe just how well the winger, I think Marvin Andros Townsend or something like that, that he was up against. He, he said that they just move incredibly and uh, you, you just can't trap them. Um, and that that is an underrated part of football, football isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I thought with Colby Bishop, I don't know. I have a feeling he's not going to be at Portsmouth by the end of January. I, I, I've, I, I don't know why. I feel like they could Luton. I wouldn't be surprised if Luton bid in for him, especially if the way they're going with his, with how he's playing at the moment. A higher end Championship club or or, or Luton maybe, or like one of the sides struggling for a striker in the Premier League. Would be surprised they may put a bid in for him. I wouldn't be surprised if they bid. I'd be surprised if Portsmouth let them go if they were still in the top two. Yeah, I don't think their fans would be very happy with that, considering their record of being top three, top four the past three or four years, and then just falling. Yeah, but it depends on what happens if they put in a decent bid. That's the thing. There's got. There's going to be. I think it have to take quite a big bid for them to mm-hmm. consider. We're talking three, four million million pounds because the difference in money, especially next season when there's more games being on. Them being in the championship and lead to that two million pounds that Cole Bishop could get them by going up, yeah, where they could lose the two million pounds by staying in League One, and then that money's just kind of disappeared. Fair enough. Well, that's going to be the end of today's uh podcast. It was great to to have you guys on, it was great to to enjoy it. It was a really nice, enjoyable podcast. Um, we are in that this week, we are going to be starting the League One 606 on top of our. Very popular League 2606, starting with this weekend with the FA Cup games. So uh, if any of you guys who are League One fans or fans of football or League One in general, um, you can hop on, on or this will be on Twitter spaces on the Lower League Look Twitter page and you can come and have your say about your team's performance uh, on Saturday night. Maybe you won, maybe you picked up a, a, a win against a, a Lower League side or maybe you you lost to an non-league side on on Saturday night. It'd be an interesting uh, week of fixtures. So um, come and have your say. Uh, it's uh, you can come enjoy. Uh, look at our TikTok page where our vlogs will be, as well as our Twitter, uh, as well as our Twitter page. Um, it's thank you from me, Owen. It's thank you from the rest of the the people here on this podcast. Uh, goodbye and have a great rest of your evening. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.